Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station. On today's edition of Pathway to Victory. James says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now here's the temptation equation. The first factor in the temptation equation is corrupt desires, plus second, the right bait, plus the wrong choice equals sin and death. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffers. Satan has developed a number of evil tactics to destroy our faith, our families, and our future. And perhaps most dangerous of all are Satan's attempts to deceive us into disobeying God. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress describes the three deadly variables that make up the temptation equation. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Let me just say it straight and cut to the chase. Christians can be very naive. Here's what I mean. Sometimes we treat temptation like it's a piece of chocolate cake. It's our so-called guilty pleasure. But behind every seemingly innocent temptation stands an ugly enemy who's working overtime to bring us down. And Christians who ignore him will end up as spiritual roadkill. For this reason, we're spending the next few weeks explaining how to defeat the enemy. My teaching series is called The Divine Defense, and I've written a best-selling book by that same title. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'd be happy to send you a copy. Based on the teaching from Ephesians 6, this eye-opening book reveals Satan's blueprint to destroy your faith, your family, and your future. And my book again, called The Divine Defense, gives you practical, biblical advice on how you can win your unseen battles and live a life of victory. Now, in addition to my book, I'll also include a helpful brochure called Equipped for Battle. This exclusive brochure offers you seven keys to spiritual success. More about these resources later, but right now, let's get started with today's message titled, The Temptation Equation. After spending 69 days trapped in a Chilean mine, Mario Sepulveda said, I am a changed man. He said, I buried 40 years of my life down there, and I'm going to live a lot longer to be a new person. During the time Sepulveda was trapped in the mind, he said he saw both good and evil at work. Quote, I was with God and I was with the devil. They fought and God won. You know, it doesn't take being trapped in a mind for 69 days to realize that you are in a battle, a battle between good and evil. It is a battle that began a long time ago, and we as Christians are caught in the crossfire of that battle between God and Satan. Unfortunately, most Christians are unaware of that battle, and they are unaware of the adversary, and the result is they end up becoming spiritual roadkill. Whether you realize it or not, ladies and gentlemen, you are in the middle of a battle. You have an adversary who has a plan for your life. 
If you're not a Christian this morning, Satan's plan for you is to so blind you to the gospel of Jesus Christ that you will never trust in Christ before you die. And that way, he can have your soul in the next life for all eternity. But if Satan can't succeed in in having you in the next life, he has a plan for you in this life. If you're already a Christian, he hasn't given up on you. Even though he can't have you for all eternity, he's going to do everything he can to deprive you of every good thing God has in store for you. And that's why Jesus said in John 10, Satan is a thief who has come to kill and destroy. Satan has a devious desire for your life. But not only does he have that evil desire, he has a plan to fulfill that desire to destroy every good thing in your life. Remember Ephesians 6.11, Paul said, put on the full armor of God that you might be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. And we saw that word schemes, the Greek word methodia, literally means a strategy, a plan, a blueprint, if you will. We don't have to wonder what that plan is. As we look through Scripture, we discover that Satan really isn't that original. He doesn't have to come up with unique plans because the old ones work very well. And last week, we started looking at Satan's three-pronged blueprint for your destruction. Strategy number one, Satan would love to discourage you from worshiping God. He tried that with Job. It didn't work. The question is, will that strategy work with you? Strategy number two, if Satan can't get you to reject God outright, he would like to distract you from serving God. That is, get you so focused on the details and delights of living in this world that it strangles out your love and service for God. And now today, we're going to look at the third and the most powerful strategy Satan has for our destruction. And that is to deceive you into disobeying God. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. He wants to deceive you into disobeying God. You know, discouragement, distraction, those are very lethal, but they're somewhat subtle strategies. Outright disobedience is what Satan would ultimately like to produce in your life. He wants you to disobey God. Why? Not only because of the destruction that disobedience brings in your life, but the resulting fallout your disobedience has in other people's lives. What causes people to suddenly fall into sin? Well, nobody suddenly falls into sin. What happens is there is a change inside in our spiritual temperature. Our spiritual temperature doesn't grow warmer. It grows colder and colder and colder. There's a shifting in our priorities in life until one day, many times, an external force pushes us over the edge into sin and the destruction of everything important to us. Not only is falling into sin a matter of what happens to us on the inside, it's also the result of what happens to us on the outside. We have an adversary who absolutely wants to destroy everything important to us. And he has a strategy to do that. It is a devious strategy. And it's one, interestingly, that's actually spelled out in the Bible for us. You want to know what Satan's strategy is to deceive you into disobedience? Look at James 1, verse 13. James said, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But here it is, verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. 
Now, in just a minute, we're going to look at what I call the temptation equation that's found in this verse. But let me say a word about that word tempt in itself. That word that is translated tempt in the English language is a word that means to entice to do evil with the promise of gain. Now, that's exactly what James says happens with sin in our life. Look at verses 15 and 16. Then when lust has conceived, it brings birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Disobedience always leads to death. Disobedience to God always results in the death, the destruction of everything important to you. Your relationships, your family, your career, your dreams for the future, your relationship with God. Sin never leads to satisfaction. It always results in death. Sin is appealing at first. It draws us to it. But what we don't see is that in the middle of that appealing temptation is a knife that will destroy us. That's what he's saying here. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. To be carried away and to be enticed by our own lust is to be drawn toward a trap that is both appealing but is also lethal. Now let's look at this temptation equation in detail in verse 14. James says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now here's the temptation equation. Corrupt desires plus the right bait, plus the wrong choice equals sin and death. Now, let's look at each of those factors for just a moment. First of all, the first factor in that temptation equation is corrupt desires. You know, all of us have within us certain desires. Um, We have a desire for food. We have the desire for shelter. We have the desire for sex. We have the desire for intimacy with other people. And there's nothing wrong with any of those desires. Those are God-given desires. He planted those desires within our heart. But what happened with the first couple is this. Satan tempted Adam and Eve with this thought. And the thought was this, if you follow after God, if you follow his plan for living, you will be robbed of some wonderful experience in life. So Satan said to Eve, if you want to be fulfilled, follow my plan. Go ahead and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, Eve and Adam fell for that trick. And the result was death. Now, Satan continues that same line with us. And you and I have inherited from Adam and Eve that natural tendency to want to disobey God in order to meet our needs. Because we, too, believe the lie of Satan that if we follow God's plan, we're going to be robbed of something great in life. So, we've inherited that corrupt desires Uh, those desires that we try to fulfill in our own way. And that sets us up perfectly for the next factor in the temptation equation. And that is the right bait. Remember what James said? Each man is tempted when he is carried away. That means we're drawn by these corrupt desires. We were drawn toward sin. Each man is tempted when he is carried away. And the second word is enticed. Now that refers to the right bait. In fact, that word enticed in Greek is a fishing term that means literally to hook a fish. That's the picture here. 
Satan is a master fisherman. He knows exactly what bait to dangle in front of you. No, he's not omniscient. He can't read your mind, but guess what? He doesn't have to. All he has to do is observe you, observe what's going on in your life, and he knows what lure to take out of his tackle box. My friend Steve Lawson says there are four times in our lives when we are most vulnerable to Satan's temptation. First of all, we are most vulnerable to Satan's temptation when you have experienced great success. I think that's what maybe Paul had in mind when he said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, be careful, take heed. He who thinks he stands, be careful, lest you fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. We are prone to temptation when we've experienced great success. Secondly, you're prone to temptation when you are tired. When we're emotionally, physically spent, we tend to be more open to Satan's allurements. Think about Elijah for a moment. Remember Elijah, he had experienced that great victory on Mount Carmel, killing the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. Great moment, but he was emotionally exhausted after that battle of the gods. And I think his emotional exhaustion distorted his, his perception so that when Jezebel said, I'm going to take your life, he became frightened and he started running for those 90 miles. I mean, 850 prophets didn't faze him. One disgruntled female terrified him, you know. How do you explain that? He was emotionally exhausted. His perspective was wrong. So he starts running. He runs and he runs and he runs for 90 miles. He's now physically exhausted. He crawls under a tree and says, Lord, just take my life. Go ahead and take it. What led to that? It was he was exhausted both physically and emotionally. Know that when you're tired, you are open to the evil one's temptations. Thirdly, when you are alone. Satan loves to isolate and then tempt. When you are alone is when you're vulnerable to Satan's enticements. And fourth, we're vulnerable to temptation when you are waiting on God. That waiting time can make you vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. That time between when you cry out to God for help and he chooses to answer your cry for help. Or that time between when God initially promises to do something and he chooses to fulfill that promise. It's that waiting time that the tempter comes and says things like, why hasn't God answered your prayer? Maybe he doesn't really care about you. Maybe he's unable to answer your prayer. Maybe he doesn't even exist. It's interesting to me that all four of these factors were present in Christ's temptation in the wilderness. Think about it. Jesus had just experienced a great success. He had heard his heavenly father say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. A great spiritual victory. Secondly, he was exhausted. 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. Third, he was all alone, all by himself. And finally, he was in that waiting time between his calling to ministry and the beginning of his public ministry. It is at that time that the tempter came. Don't be surprised if it's not at that time that the tempter comes into your life as well. Let's go back to the temptation equation. First of all, it begins with corrupt desires. Secondly, it begins, uh, is, it includes the right bait that Satan dangles in front of us. Each one is tempted when he is carried away, that is drawn, and enticed, hooked. But the third factor is a wrong choice. A wrong choice. Now, the truth is, we don't have any real choice over our corrupted desires. We inherited those from our parents, Adam and Eve. Thank you very much, Adam and Eve. 
Secondly, we really don't have any choice about the bait that Satan dangles in front of us. That's something that he does. Now again, we can flee those temptations. We can refuse to put ourselves in tempting situations. When we get in those situations, we can do what Joseph did and ran as far and as fast as he possibly could. But you know what? Even if we could isolate ourselves from everyone and everything, temptation would still be there. Remember, Jesus was alone all by himself in the desert when the tempter came. We don't have any choice about the corrupted desires. We have little control over the temptation. But this third factor we do have control over. That is the choice that we make. Yes, that bait that is dangled in front of us looks appealing to us. It draws us to it. But we don't have to bite at the bait. We do have a choice. And I'm surprised at the number of Christians who don't understand that we really do have a choice. Instead, most Christians have adopted a playwright Oscar Wilde's way to deal with temptation. He said, after many years of study, I've determined that the best way to rid yourself of temptation is to yield to it. Now, that's a pretty fatalistic view, isn't it? Want to get rid of temptation? Just go ahead and give in to it. Unfortunately, many Christians have adopted that practice as well. They feel like, well, I just don't have any choice. I have to obey my sin nature. I have to bite at the bait. And God's Word says, no, you don't. You see, Satan wants you as a Christian to think you're still under his control, at least as long as you're alive in this world. No, you're not. See, the Bible tells us that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is present in your life, giving you the ability to say no to sin. And that's what Romans 6, verses 6 and 7 are all about. Listen to what Paul said. Knowing this, that our old self, that is our corrupted desires, our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. The moment you become a Christian, that set of corrupt desires you have, they are dealt a death blow. They're not totally removed from our body, but their power over us has been broken. We don't have to say yes to sin. Sin has no more power over your life than you choose to allow it to have. That's what Paul is saying here. By the way, speaking of traps, don't fall into the trap of thinking that because you're tempted, you're sinning. A lot of people, a lot of Christians equate temptation with sin. They think because they are tempted that that means they've sinned. They think the temptation itself is a sin. Listen to me. If being tempted means you're a sinner, then Jesus Christ was the greatest sinner of all time. Because he faced the greatest temptation of all time. But it wasn't the absence of temptation that made Jesus the perfect son of God. It wasn't the absence of temptation itself. It was the absence of yielding to temptation that proved Jesus to be the spotless lamb of God. And it's the same way in your life, in my life. Listen to Hebrews 4 verse 15. The writer says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. He faced the greatest temptations any man has ever faced before. And yet he said no. I know what you're thinking. I can read your mind right now. You're thinking, well, sure he said no. He was the son of God. What else would you expect him to do? But I am not the perfect son of God. 
Listen to what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying the same power that worked in Jesus Christ's life is working in your life right now. You have the same supernatural power over sin that Jesus Christ had. That's what becoming a Christian is all about. It's not just about a free ticket to heaven. It is about a brand new power that is in your life. You remember Romans 6 verse 4? Listen to what Paul said. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. I bet you've heard all of your life, I know I heard it growing up, that baptism is a picture of our death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That when we're lowered into the water, what we're saying is, one day my physical body is going to die, and it's going to be buried, and one day I'm going to rise from the dead, just like Jesus did. Haven't you heard that before? Now, that is certainly true, but that is a secondary picture of what baptism is all about. Baptism is not primarily about some future event, the resurrection of our physical bodies from the grave. Baptism is about our spiritual resurrection that occurs the moment we're saved. When you become a Christian, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, you are dying to your old way of living. And you are being raised to a brand new way of life. And just like Mario Sepulveda, that miner said, I have buried my old life back there in that mine. And I'm going to become a brand new person when you trust in Christ as your Savior. And when you're baptized, you're saying to the whole world, I am through with my old way of living. I am being raised to a brand new way of living. But here's the great news. That resolve is a resolve that has a supernatural power behind it. Resolves in and of themselves don't accomplish anything. But the Word of God says with that resolve is the supernatural power of God. The same power that lifted Jesus out of that grave. That same power is working in your life right now to allow you to say no to sin and yes to God. If you don't hear another word I say today, hear this, Christian You don't have to be a casualty on the spiritual battlefield. You don't have to become another notch in Satan's belt. You can resist the devil. In fact, James 4, 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. God has put believers in a powerful position to overcome when we choose to access and deploy our divine defense. As your radio pastor and Bible teacher, I'm eager to teach you these keys to gaining victory over the devil. It's all clearly explained in my best-selling book called The Divine Defense. You don't need to be a victim of the devil's attacks. And this book equips you with biblical instruction on how to defend your life against spiritual attack. My book, The Divine Defense, is yours when you support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory with a generous gift. Before we wrap up today's broadcast, I'd like to share a letter I received recently from one of our listeners. Cindy wrote, Pastor, I listen to Pathway to Victory on my way to a very stressful job every weekday morning. I cannot tell you how much your messages, filled with understandable and encouraging wisdom coming from the Word of God, helps me get through the workday. I just wanted to say thank you. Well, Cindy, I'm so glad that this ministry is an encouragement to you. 
And for those of you who give financially to support Pathway to Victory, I hope Cindy's note is an encouragement to you because your generous giving is truly making an impact. And let me add, keep in mind that the summer vacation schedule is often a distraction to loyal supporters, and as a result, our giving level sometimes decreases. Please, as God enables you, remain consistent and faithful. We promise to broadcast the truth of God's Word every day from here at Pathway to Victory. Thank you so much for your help. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we'll say thanks by sending you The Divine Defense, Dr. Jeffress's best-selling book on spiritual warfare. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or go to our website. The address is ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, you're also going to get the complete Divine Defense CD and DVD teaching set. To request the Divine Defense CD and DVD set, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You're always welcome to contact us by mail. Just write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. We've learned Satan's threefold plan of attack to turn our hearts away from God. So how is he able to carry out this massive operation? Learn about the army of demons Satan has at his disposal when you join us Monday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Join Dr. Robert Jeffress on an unforgettable trip to Israel. You've read about places like the Mount of Olives and the Plain of Megiddo. Isn't it time to see these remarkable sights for yourself? Join us on the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel and sign up before September 30th to receive an early bird discount. To learn more, go to ptv.org.